0: This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now today's lesson is titled, take me to your leader and come from first samuel 22 1 through 23 but before we start our lesson today word talk inc could use your support now playing music on the radio may sound simple but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties and before that first song is ever played there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth we need people just like you to help with the tax deductible gifts so won't you do that today you can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648 and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone or mail us your gift to WordTalk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Now your gift to WordTalk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense of providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson as we've gone through the book of 1 Samuel, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible radiobibleclass.podbean.com. Also, if you want to listen, you can go search on your favorite place that you like to listen to your podcast at, whether that's Amazon or whether that's iTunes. Go to the podcast section and search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Well, over the past several weeks, we've been studying about David and Saul and how David has been running for his life. Last week, we talked about run, David, run. Ever since David killed Goliath... And he started getting the praises of the people and he became famous because of that. Saul became jealous. Saul became angry. And Saul has now gotten to the point where he's trying to kill David. right out and kill David. Jonathan, his BFF, told him, hey, you got to get out of here. My father is trying to kill you. So David runs to Nob there he winds up lying to a priest and that priest does help him though the priest gives him some holy bread he also gives him the sword of goliath and we looked at that and we looked how david was operating in the flesh and how that he was no longer looking to god but he was trying to solve the problem himself and what i can tell you today is if you're listening to me and you're in a time of need just like david was maybe you're not running for your life but maybe it feels like the world is coming down on you maybe it feels like there's something going on in your life if you try to solve it yourself you're going to be just like david david thought he made good decisions and we talked about this but he didn't make the decisions that god would have had him make and we're going to see some of the consequences from him lying to the priest this week in this lesson but anyhow he lies to the priest the priest does give him the holy bread he gives him the sword and at that point he's also noticed why he's there David knows deep down inside that now that he's been spotted he's got to go somewhere where Saul won't find him or won't come looking for him. So where does he go? He runs to Gath. Now Gath was one of the Philistine cities and he runs into the city carrying Goliath's sword who was a Philistine that he killed. And when he gets there all of a sudden people start recognizing him. Remember David's become famous. He's killed lots of Philistines. And all of a sudden they start saying, isn't this the guy that is the ruler of the land? Isn't this a guy that they sing a song about that Saul has killed his thousand and David has killed his ten thousands? They even know the song that was chanted that made Saul so mad. He says, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. And what does he do? He starts acting like a madman. He has to do the crazy man dance. And sometimes that's what we do. We do things that make us look like a crazy man. And that's the only way that David gets out of this. He is taken to the king and the king says, don't I have enough crazy men here already? And so he says, get him out of here. I don't need another crazy person in our land. And so anyhow, David's able to run. And that's where we're going to pick up today. We're going to see that David runs to this remote part. He goes to a cave and there he becomes the leader of an army. Everybody has a leader. Everybody has something or someone that is leading them. Now, hopefully it's Jesus Christ that's leading you. But today we're going to see that David leads this army of men. And so let's pick up right here. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 22. I'll start in verse 1 and I'll be reading out the ESV. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brother and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered with him. And he became the commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. So let's stop right there for now. So like I said, last week we saw in Gath where was the capital city of the philistines david had to act like a madman and so he is told to get him out of the city so he escapes out of the city and he runs to the cave of adullam if you go look at that word escaped here in the bible it really means slipping away being delivered from danger doing my research i couldn't find exactly where this cave was located but it's most likely near the judea border somewhere in no man's land between judah and the philistines but there were many caves in this rocky hillside area that I found. And because of that, I'm thinking that's where David and his men would go and they would have shelter. Before we dive into the rest of what happened, while he's in that cave, we know that he writes some Psalms. As a matter of fact, if you turn to Psalms 142, at the very top in the inscription, it says, a mascot of David when he was in the cave. And what we see here is that in this psalm that David cries out to the Lord. He pours out all his complaints before the Lord. As you read this psalm, you can see that David is in a time of need and he is desperately now relying on the Lord. The time that he has gotten away in a moment to think he's no longer looking at self and he's going, Lord, I need you. I'm in desperate need of you now. I need you to rescue me from those that are pursuing me. I cry out to you, O Lord. That's what he writes. But this is not the only psalm that he wrote. He also wrote Psalm 57. Again, look at the inscription at the top of it. Before you get to verse 1, you'll see that this was when he fled from Saul to the cave. And he says there, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, for I in you, I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wing until the disaster has passed. And as he cries out, we see though he changes from his cry to a worship and praise. He start in verse 7. He says, my heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I awaken to the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nation. I will praise you among the people. For great is your love reaching into the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the sky. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens and the earth. Let your glory be over all the earth. He finishes that. He just praises the Lord. And you know what? He finds strength in that. And we're going to see that as I flip back over now to 1 Samuel 22. We're going to see this strength in him where he starts taking care of others. But before we get to that, I want you to understand that we find a whole new level of strength when we praise the Lord. But now flipping back over to 1 Samuel 22, in the second half of verse 1, we see that when his brothers and his father's house heard where he was, they went down there. They had a family reunion. But not only did they go down there, but everyone who was in distress, everyone that was in debt, and everyone who had bitterness in their soul, they gathered with him also, and he became a leader over them. I titled this lesson, Take Me to Your Leader, because everyone has a leader. Someone or something is leading you. Now, I personally want Jesus to lead you. I want Jesus to be your leader, and I want your life to be focused on him. Every decision that you make should go through the hands of Jesus. And all of a sudden, these people hear about where David is, and they come, and they want him to be their leader. Now, David had a reputation of being a successful leader. But these people show up, and the Bible describes them that they were in distress, life was overwhelming to them it just seemed too much they were in pain they couldn't seem to get what they needed to get that's what that means by distress and of course debt everyone owes somebody something everyone came had debt they couldn't manage their life they were a day late they were a dollar short they were slave to the lender and then how does it describe the rest of them, that they were discontented. They were bitter in soul. They were unable to be satisfied. You know those people. They always see the glass half empty. Anyhow, these are the people that showed up. They were in distress. They, life was overwhelming to them. They were in debt. They They owed money to people and they couldn't pay it. More than likely, this was Saul that they owed the debt to. Remember, even Samuel told them about how the king, if they really had a king, was going to take from them. Now they're in debt. They can't pay the debt that Saul's charging them. And they're discontented. They can't be satisfied. And what do they do? They show up looking for a leader, someone to lead them out of the pain that they're in, someone to help them solve their problem. Today, you've shown up. You're listening to me today, and you've probably shown up with a problem. It may be debt. It may be distress. It may be discontentment. Whatever your problem is, you're looking to someone that's been leading you, and they've led you right into this problem. And I'm telling you, there is a helper. His name is Jesus, and you have to give it to him. You have to put it at his feet. I'm sure that I'm resonating with someone listening to me today. And you want someone that will lead you from the pain that you're in. And let me ask you, who is your captain? Is it you? Is it someone else? Or is it Jesus? Who is your captain? Today, make Jesus your captain. Make him your leader. Make him the one that you follow. Unfortunately, there's too many that follow the world. And the world's not going to lead you out of your pain and suffering. Too many people follow materialism. They follow sect. They follow popularity or power. Whatever it is, you need to get away from looking at the world and be like David. Go to your cave. Go to your alone time and find Jesus and look to him and let him be your leader. I heard this week that doctor Oz is running for Senate, and that is great, and I'm sure he will do well, but you know how many people that look to doctor Oz to solve their problem? They looked to doctor Phil, they looked to Judge Judy, they looked to the View, they looked to Jimmy Kimmel, they looked to John Stewart, they looked to Rush Limbaugh, they looked to Sean Hannity, they looked to Kelly Rippa, they looked to Oprah. Quit looking at the world and start looking at Jesus. I just picked on all the folks that are famous because they're actors, but I could do the same thing about athletes. We look to them as well. We look to folks that have done very well in the business world and we listen to them. If you go into Barnes and Noble, you'll find a self-help section of books. It's half the store and it's people telling you how to solve your pain and your problem. Just follow me. I know how to tell you and I'll tell you what to do. Here's what I'm trying to get at, and i got to move on because I'm out of time already. What I'm telling you is that your leader, the person that you follow, needs to be Jesus Christ, or you're setting yourself up for failure. Proverbs 14.12 tells us that there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it's the way to death. If you are going to look to man, ultimately, it's just going to lead you to death. There's only one way for eternal life, and that's Jesus. John 14, 6 tells us that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. He is the way, the only way. He is the truth. He's the only truth, and he is life. So we've seen that David runs to the cave of Dolemn. And there he wrote these Psalms. He got his eyes focused back on God and God lets him to become a leader. And we're going to see how he leads these men, this army, over the next several chapters and how he rises into power. But I want you to notice what it says in the rest of this little section right here. Look at verse 3 through 5 with me. And David went from there to Mezpath of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay, will you, till I know what God will do with me. And he left them there with the king of Moab. And they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. And then the prophet of Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. David understands that he's about to have to go into battle. And what does he do? He takes his family and he takes them to Mezpeth of Moab. And he asks the king, watch after my father and my mother. These are prized possession. King, take care of them until God tells me what he will have me do. When God tells me what he wants me to do. David understands that God has a timetable. David doesn't know what this timetable is or he would have told him more. But he says, just hold on to him for me until God tells me what to do. Today, some of you just need to wait on the Lord. Continue to seek God's will while you wait on the Lord. Remember what God has done for you in the past. One of the things I've told you in the past is in your prayer journal to write down your requests to God and how he fulfills them so that when you go through these times of need, just like David is, you can turn back in your prayer journal and you can see how God has answered and how he has been faithful. Remember what God has done for you as you go through this time and as you're waiting for him. And David illustrates that to us right here when he says that until God tells me what he will have me do. So he takes them to Maspah. He takes them to the king for protection. Now that word Moab may sound familiar to you. And it should because if you go back, his great grandmother, Ruth, was from that area. And so he probably had some family there too that could also work with the king. But David also tells the king, take care of my mother my father until I know what God will do for me. David is looking to God for his help. He's quit looking at himself. He's now looking to God. We see that in that statement. I think David's learned his lesson to quit trying to force things to happen to wait on God. See what God wants and how God wants to do it and what God will do for him. And we need to do the same thing. We need to see God's will for our future. Not just our own will, but what God wants for us. And the right thing that God has for us, not just what we want. And then it finishes up that the prophet Gad told him, don't stay here you need to go. As we go through First and Second Samuel, we're going to see that David really had three prophets that he listened to. He had Samuel, he had Nathan, and he had this prophet Gad. And he tells him that he is to go, not to stay in the stronghold any longer. So he listens to him and he leaves and he goes back into a remote forest part of Judah. I'm sure these 400 men were really starting to question David, hey, look, we're in this cave, we're well fortified, why would we leave? But you can always tell someone's heart towards God when God tells them to do something by how well they respond to it. And we see that David's heart is right again. He listens to the prophet and he goes. There may be one or two of you that are listening right now and that you've learned a lesson. You didn't go at first as you were told by God to go. You eventually went, but delayed obedience is disobedience. And that's what God taught you when you delayed what God told you. What is God telling you to do today that you haven't done? Go do it. Get get busy. Get going. God has something he wants someone to do. So do it now. Don't delay any further. We see that David doesn't delay any further and he does what he's told. Now I'm going to paraphrase the rest of this chapter, verses 6 through 23, because I don't have time to read it all and tell you what I want you to hear. But we find Saul now in verse 6 sitting underneath a tree in a pity party. He's sitting there with a spear in his hand. This man will not let go of that spear. He's tried to kill David three times with a spear. He even tried to kill his own son with the spear. But we find him under this tree in a pity party, in a depression. He's telling everyone that is around him, his servants and those that stood there with him, he says, listen to me. Will the son of Jesse give you the fields and the vineyards like I can give you? Will he make you commander of thousands or even hundreds? Will you have anything great if you don't listen to me? Why won't you go after him? Not one of you has disclosed to me about how my son made a pact with the son of Jesse. But then in the group was Doeg, the Edomite. Remember, he is the head farmer for all his sheep. He's a sheep herder. He's head of all the sheep. Now he has a chance to make his mark. And look, he says, I saw the son of Jesse. He doesn't even call him by David. He uses the same verbiage because he wants Saul to understand that he understands. I saw the son of Jesse that was at Nob. And he spoke to Ahimelech. And Ahimelech gave him provisions. He gave him bread. He gave him the sword of Goliath. So what happens? The king summons Ahimelech, the priest, and he asks him, did you help David out? Why did you conspire against me? Why did you create treason with David against the king? And Ahimelech goes, well, hold on. Wait, I didn't create treason. I had nothing to do with what you think I did. All I did was he asked for food and he asked for sword. I did give him that, but he told me it was on your business. And so this furiates the king. And he immediately says, King Saul tells him, you and your house is going to die. And he immediately orders for his men to kill all the priests. That's 85 priests that are there. Yet they won't do it. They won't turn a hand against God. His servants, his army men understand that they are not to touch the priest. These 85 priests, they refuse to kill him. But we see that Doeg doesn't have a problem with it whatsoever. Matter of fact, let's look at that for a second. Doeg is an Edomite, probably a high official of that tribe. And they hate Israel. If you remember back in chapter 21, it says that he was in charge of all of Saul's animals. He was a man of influence. And anyhow, he says, I'll take care of it. I'll do the massacre. I don't have a problem killing a bunch of Jews. But before we get to the bloody massacre, just remember, if you go all the way back to 1 Samuel 2, these priests were descendants of the wicked Eli and Phinehas. In 1 Samuel 2.31, it specifically says, there is going to be a day that I will cut off your arm and your arm of your father's house, so there will not be any old man in your house. The massacre of the priests is a fulfillment of the prophecy from that man of God that came in and gave that prophecy back in 1 Samuel chapter 2. You go, well, hold on, Tim. I thought God was good. All the time, God is good. Well, God had a prophecy that there was some evil and somebody had to pay the price. There was justice that had to be paid. And we're going to see through this massacre, as bad as it is and as, as we hate to hear about this, that there is going to rise up out of it a righteous line of priests. But also this shows us to the point in which the demise of Saul has gotten. Saul orders the men of God, the very men that can help get him back to God, to be put to death. And Doeg does it. This bloody massacre of Doeg seals Saul's fate. Saul has rejected God. And now he's gone as far as to order everyone that can help him find forgiveness to be killed. And they are killed. But you say, Tim, this is real evil. Well, there is real evil in this world. There are enemies of God and the master of the world is the devil. He's the one that is a fallen angel. God did not create evil. Evil was a choice. In Romans, when we studied it, in Romans 5, 12, it tells us, Therefore, just as though one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all have sinned. 1 John five nineteen tells us, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober and vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. What I want you to understand is there are enemies of God that are in war with God's people. And we are under a spiritual attack. And until Jesus comes back, there will always be an eternal conflict between the children of God and Satan. Those that operate in the flesh that Satan says, do what you want to do. Be all that you can be. If it feels good, do it. All the things that the world tells you. We're going to see this conflict over and over and over. So when Doeg does this evil massacre, we see that he shows us true evil and that we need a king and a leader who can conquer that. And I want you to understand that God is completely good and does not cause evil, but he can use it and we've shown you that as well. Doeg is just one small part of the Bible, but look how God uses him. God used him to stop Saul, to judge the house of Eli and correct the priest. Out of that priestly line, we're going to see Nathan come out, and he is going to chastise David for lying, for what David does. And then even more than that, we're going to see a Savior, Jesus Christ, that will come. He will be our eternal Savior. Romans 11.22 tells us, Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fail, severity, but toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will also be cut off. What did Jesus say? Jesus said in Mark 10, 18, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one, and that is God. I like how one pastor put it. He uses this story and the gruesome part of the massacre as a foreshadowing of how God can take the death of his son, how God can take the death of Jesus, how evil can think they've won and he can use it for the good. He can turn evil on its head and show that there's salvation through an act of evil. And what does that really mean? That means God is sovereign. God is control of everything and God can use everything. Even when the supreme powers and authority that we see in man's eyes do things that we don't understand how God lets them do, God can use that. God brings the right people at the right time into power. The psalmist wrote in Psalms 115.3, but God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Paul was inspired to write in Romans 9, 21, Does not the potter have the power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel from honor and another for dishonor? Amount of time. So let me really close with this. What I want you to understand is don't get so wrapped up in is God someone that we can trust. But I can tell you that God is good. and God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Don't worry. God is good. Put your trust in him. He can take things that happen to you, the evil in this world that will attack you because of your trust in God, and he can turn that for the good because he is sovereign. So this chapter ends with one of the sons of Ahimelech racing to David. He escapes to David with the terrible news that he delivers that Saul has killed all the priests. David accepts responsibility. He knew that Doeg was there that day and he sought help from Abimelech. What does he do, though? He offers shelter and protection. We can learn from that. We can learn and we can see that God does the same thing for us. This is a foreshadowing of how we can turn to him for our protection. Look at the contrast between Saul and David here. Saul is ultimately responsible for the death of the priest, but David accepts the blame. Saul destroys the priest, but David protects and preserves the remaining priest. Saul forfeits the counsel of the priest in his life. But David gains a priest and an advisor for the rest of his life. You know, Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. David realizes and recognizes that he was wrong to lie to Ahimelech when he came to Ahimelech looking for food and for weapons. And he confesses his sin, he accepts responsibility for the actions that he did. If you want God's protection today, you need to take responsibility of your sin. Quit blaming others. Understand that you are ultimately responsible for the sin in your life. You made that choice. And now you need to lay it at the feet of Jesus and ask him to be Lord of your life to forgive you of that sin. So will you do that today? Maybe you've shown up like these 400 men today and you need help. I tell you, go to Jesus. He is the ultimate leader. And he's the one we need to be chasing after. And then we need to understand that we've made bad decisions and that Jesus is there to forgive us and to take the lemons that we have and make lemonade out of them. So will you do that? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for our time together. We thank you for the book of 1 Samuel and how we can learn from history, how we don't need to repeat history. We see David's on the run, but yet he is able to be a reflection of you. Lord, how he is a leader to these 400 followers. How he takes and protects his family. Lord, then as Saul murders the priest, yet his people have respect for you that they won't even kill them. So Doeg does it. But ultimately, we see that David took responsibility even when Saul wouldn't. We see how far Saul was gone. And what we can learn from that is that we can be that far gone too. That sin blinds us to our sin that we need to confess our sin to you. And we need to understand that our actions have responsibility and it creates results even to other people. Lord, I pray right now, if you're speaking to one about the sin in their life, Lord, that they would lay it at your feet. They would ask for forgiveness. Maybe they're already saved, Lord, but they've gotten away from you. Lord, they've chased after the world. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that they would chase after you. They would let you truly be their leader they would quit following the world and they would follow you. Lord, maybe there's one that's never followed you. There's no, they've never asked you to be Lord of their life. Lord, I pray today would be the day that they would ask you to be Lord of their life. Lord, we ask this all in your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.